Let me just begin today's show by pointing out that last night, the first of the Jeffrey Epstein papers dropped. That would be the court paper surrounding Jeffrey Epstein, notorious underage sex trafficker who is connected with just about every famous person in the West. And everybody's been very curious as to who exactly went to Epstein Rape Island. Well, so far, the paper's kind of a dud. Most of what we saw yesterday has already been seen. Bill Clinton being mentioned in the context of, quote unquote, liking young girls, Prince Andrew grabbing an underage breast, allegations about Alan Dershowitz, all the rest of this kind of stuff. More is going to drop over the coming days, and we will cover it when it does, because not much has dropped so far. Okay, so now on to the actual news. The 2024 election is coming, and right now it is advantage Donald Trump. Trump is leading by 2.2% in the real clear politics polling average. It doesn't sound like a lot until you realize that Trump trailed Joe Biden in that same average on Election Day 2020 by 7.2%. He only lost the popular vote by 4.5%, a difference of 2.7%. Or that Hillary Clinton was leading in that same average by 3.2% on Election Day 2016 and only won the popular vote by 2.1%, a miss about 1.1%. In other words, Donald Trump almost always outdraws his real clear politics polling average number. So if he's up 2.2, that means he's actually up more. What's more, Joe Biden is totally stuck. As political scientist Roy Teixeira, who is not a right winger, writes today in The Washington Post, quote, in his 2020 campaign for the nomination, the longtime former senator had a better sense than other Democratic candidates of the normalcy that voters were looking for after more than six months of a pandemic accompanied by lockdowns and an economic crash. But there was a catch. After Joe Biden clinched the nomination, says Teixeira, he felt it was necessary to incorporate the views of the party's left into his campaign's policy stances and outlook. Now, with the next campaign about to begin, Biden and his party are struggling. In other words, Joe Biden lied to his voters. He campaigned as a moderate in the primaries. He capitalized on that moderate image in the general. And then he pushed steadily to the left. And then he governed from the left. Now, says Teixeira, Biden is polling behind Trump nationally and in every swing state with the possible exception of Wisconsin. Trump is preferred to Biden by wide margins on voters' most important issue, the economy and inflation, as well as their second most important issue, immigration and border security, and on crime and public safety. Biden's approval rating at this point in his presidency, says Teixeira, is the lowest of any president going back to the 1940s when the era of modern polling began. So what could Joe Biden do to turn that around? Well, Biden thinks that bashing Trump is going to save him. That's presumably why he's going to go on a Trump bashing tour beginning this week, labeling Donald Trump a racist and a fascist. According to the Associated Press, quote, President Joe Biden is starting the campaign year by evoking the Revolutionary War to mark the third anniversary of the deadly insurrection at the U.S. Capitol and visiting the South Carolina church where a white gunman massacred black parishioners seeking to present in the starkest possible terms an election he argues could determine the fate of American democracy. He's basically going to turn January 6th into a national holiday so that everybody has to remember how horrible January 6th, day after day after day, because that's what America must fight and Trump can't be president because of January 6th. And, uh, so on Saturday, Joe Biden is going to travel near Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, where George Washington and the Continental Army spent a bleak winter nearly 250 years ago, presumably to talk about spending a bleak winter this year. But it will swing into a wondrous summer under a second Joe Biden term. There, he's apparently going to decry Donald Trump for the riot by a mob of his supporters who overran the Capitol, says the Associated Press, in an attempt to overturn the 2020 presidential election. So Valley Forge speech to talk about January 6th. Uh, here's what George Washington did. Donald Trump insurrection. All right. Two days later, the president is going to visit Mother Emanuel Amy Church in Charleston, where nine people were shot and killed in a June 2015 white supremacist attack. Now, you may note the date on that. June 2015, Barack Obama was still president of the United States. And the idea he is going to suggest here is that Donald Trump's followers are the kinds of people who murder black people going to church. 
That is what he's going to do. It's going to be disgusting. And it's not going to be anything quite shocking from Joe Biden, given the fact that this is the same guy who once suggested that Mitt Romney was a vicious racist who wanted to re-enslave black people. Joe Biden's kicking off 2024, says the Associated Press, by delving into some of the country's darkest moments rather than an upbeat affirmation of his record, is meant to clarify for voters what his team sees as the stakes of November's election. During both events, he will characterize his predecessor as a serious threat to the nation's founding principles, arguing that Trump, who has built a commanding early lead in the Republican presidential primary, will seek to undermine U.S. democracy should he win a second term. This is not going to work at all. It's not going to work because here's the thing. Everybody knows Trump. Everything is baked into that cake. Everything, the eggshells, howitzers, baby, like everything is in the cake already. Everyone knows what they think of the cake. Some people love the cake. Some people hate the cake. Nobody has no opinion on the cake. Everyone knows that Trump's 2020 post-election activities, even if they despise them and think they were really bad, didn't actually change the outcome of the election. Joe Biden, after all, is the president and has been the president since January of 2021. What's more, the pitch that Trump is more racist than Biden, that he's some sort of crypto white supremacist, that pitch does not work. It just doesn't. Joe Biden is the DEI president. He talks about equity, infusing all of his policies. He talks about it all the time. So this idea that Trump is more racially polarizing than Biden, eh, that's not what the polls are showing. The pitch that Trump is a fascist isn't going to work either because as even George Will, a Trump opponent of high ardor, points out, quote, Joe Biden is, like Trump, an authoritarian recidivist, mostly stymied by courts. That is from a person who really, really, really dislikes Donald Trump. George Will says, quote, instances of Trump's anti-constitutional behavior have been amply reported and implored. Biden's less so, although they, for example, the eviction moratorium, the vaccine mandate, the cancellation of student debt and judicial reprimands of them have been frequent. And then George Will points out that Joe Biden has been attempting to overrun the Federal Vacancies Reform Act by basically attempting to appoint somebody, that person being rejected by the Senate and then him waiting for some sort of break in the action to reappoint that same exact person. Most of all, Joe Biden's hope that hatred for Trump will somehow save him, that's predicated on another false idea. And that idea is that Donald Trump will jog Republican turnout, but he will really, really, really jog Democratic turnout. And that's, you know, an arguable proposition. The truth is that in every election since 2016, Democratic turnout has been up because of Trump. But here is the problem. Trump wasn't on the ballot in any of those except for 2020. What if the normal presidential election politics look more like 2016 than 2020? What if the actual norm is that Trump doesn't actually drive turnout in a presidential year in the way that Joe Biden hopes? In 2016, after all, turnout was well within historical norms. It's when Trump ran against Hillary. When it comes to turnout as a percentage of eligible voters, here are the numbers by elections. This is the percentage turnout of eligible voters. So in 2000, it was 54.3%, very, very low. 2004, 60.1%. 2008, 62.5%. 2012, 58%. 2016, 59.2%. And so since 2004, somewhere in the ballpark of between 58 and 62%. 2020, 66.9%. That is a massive increase and also a massive outlier. And Joe Biden went incredibly narrowly based on that massive outlying increase in voter turnout. 2020 saw a voter turnout increase of 23 million voters to 160 million total total voters. That is opposed to 137 million in 2016 and 129 million in 2012. So do we really think that that number is going to replicate? Do we think we're going to get 160 million total voters again in 2024? Is it going to look more like 140, 
million voters. And if there is a 20 million vote gap between, say, 2020 and 2024 in the negative direction, 20 million fewer people vote in 2024 than 2020, who do we think that's going to hurt? If those voters disappear, those marginal voters, do we think those marginal voters were Trump voters or Biden voters? The answer in 2020 was almost certainly Biden voters because the Democratic turnout machine was extremely heavy because Joe Biden relied heavily on an on-the-ground operation months in advance of the election to get people to vote absentee ballot. The changing rules because of COVID meant that Joe Biden's entire turnout operation was predicated on not voting on election day. That is why you saw that blue shift happen over the course of election night because all of the in-person votes got counted and Donald Trump did really well with the in-person votes. And then all of the mail-in ballots started to be counted and then Joe Biden overtook Trump in all of these various states. But what happens when the number of mail-in ballots is way, way, way lower because people aren't staying home because of COVID or voting from home because of COVID? What happens if the Republican Party doesn't shoot itself directly in the leg by suggesting that people should not vote from home? What happens when the math changes? In other words, none of these trends are good for Joe Biden, which means that Biden, if he wants to win re-election, is going to actually have to you know, do a good job. The only thing that could save him would be, you know, good things happening in America. But here's the problem. The biggest problem for Joe Biden, his policies prevent exactly that. He has not made the country a better place. Very few people feel that the country is better run now than it was in 2019. And that's an easy pitch for Trump to make if he can stand pitch. If Trump just says over and over and over, is your life better now or was it better in 2019? Virtually everyone thinks that life was better less chaotic, less insane in 2019. Yes, even including the tweets. In just one second, we'll talk about Joe Biden's being held hostage by his own left and why this is absolutely crushing his reelect chances. First, have you ever heard of data brokers? They're the middlemen collecting and selling all those digital footprints you happen to leave online. They can stitch together detailed profiles, which include your browsing history, online searches, location data. Then they sell that profile to a company that delivers you a targeted ad. No big deal, right? Well, you might be surprised to learn these same data brokers are also selling your information to the DHS and the IRS, which is really bad. To mask my digital footprints, I protect myself with ExpressVPN because my data is my business. One of the easiest ways for brokers to aggregate that data and tie it back to you is through your device's unique IP address. That also reveals information about your location. When you're connected to ExpressVPN, your IP address is hidden. That makes it way more difficult for data brokers to identify who you are. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of network traffic to keep your data safe from hackers on public Wi-Fi. That's why I have the ExpressVPN app downloaded on all my devices. You can use it with your phone, computer, even your home Wi-Fi router. All you need to do is tap one button and turn it on, and you are now protected. I've been using ExpressVPN for years to protect my own data. You should do the same. Make sure your online activity and data is protected with the best VPN money can buy. Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben right now. Get three extra months for free through my special link. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben Express vpn.com slash Ben to learn more. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, you may have noticed we're experiencing a ton of global instability as primary season continues. How are you protecting your family in the midst of all of this chaos and nonsense? The fact is there is one asset that has withstood famine, war, political and economic upheaval dating all the way back to biblical times. That, of course, would be gold. It's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold can help you create a well-thought-out, balanced investment strategy. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold without paying a penny out of pocket. Diversify into gold today. Just text Ben to 989898 for a free info kit. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to check out Birch Gold today. Text Ben to 989898. 
Claim your free info kit, protect your savings with gold. Smart investors diversify. And when you look at the pace of inflation over the past several years, you can see financial instability is the new way of the world. Text Ben to 989898 to get started with Birch Gold today. Text Ben to 989898 and talk to my friends over at Birch Gold. Get to more on this in just one moment. First, you've heard me talk about how important it is to have a VPN to protect your online privacy before. Choosing a VPN you trust is equally as important. Now, I actually research the show's sponsors because I want to recommend brands I believe in. I can say with full confidence, ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. For starters, ExpressVPN does not log your online activity. Lots of cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to advertisers, but ExpressVPN doesn't do that. They've even developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data at all. ExpressVPN also uses Lightway. That's a new VPN protocol they engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. I've tried a lot of VPNs in the past. They can sometimes slow your connection, but... ExpressVPN is always blazing fast and lets me stream videos in HD quality with zero buffering. Not to mention, ExpressVPN, really, really easy to use. You don't need any technical skills to set it up. You just fire up the app, you tap one button, and now you're connected. Even your grandparents could do it. I'm not just the one saying this. It's Business Insider, The Verge, a lot of other tech journals. They rate ExpressVPN as the number one VPN on planet Earth. Protect yourself with the VPN I know and trust. Use my link at expressvpn.com slash Ben today. Get an extra three months free on that one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben, expressvpn.com slash Ben to learn more. Okay, so speaking of Joe Biden's policy failures, the most obvious policy failure of this administration, aside from inflation, which we'll get to in just one second, is immigration. The immigration issue is front page. It is it is hot button news and it should be hot button news because illegal immigration is at all time highs. I mean, like all time highs, 300,000 border encounters in December alone. That is the highest monthly total ever. That is a huge total. And by the way, that does not include getaways. Meanwhile, the DOJ, as we mentioned yesterday, is suing Texas to stop Texas from enforcing immigration law. And meanwhile, The United States is about to reopen four legal U.S.-Mexico border crossings today, according to Reuters, as high levels of illegal immigration have receded and freed up personnel. But how have they how have they receded exactly? Apparently, the U.S. is going to resume operations at an international bridge in Eagle Pass, Texas, two crossings in Arizona, another near San Diego, California. That's according to Customs and Border Protection. U.S. border authorities struggled in December to process migrants as apprehensions reached nearly 11,000 in a single day which several current and former officials said was near or at a record high. Now, remember, when they say that these border apprehensions are happening, that does not necessarily mean that these are people who are crossing between crossings and then CBP is picking them up. Very often, an apprehension is somebody who actually shows up at a border crossing and then is, quote unquote, apprehended, awaiting further review for asylum or refugee status. But we know that the vast majority of people who are claiming that status are not actually eligible for that status. And then the administration basically catches and releases those people. They say, okay, here's a date, fill out this form, come back in six months, and we'll get you in court. And then some people show up and some people don't, and that's basically the end of the story. And that's how you end up with 20 million illegal immigrants in the middle of the country. Well, the White House knows this is a political loser. Democrats on the border are fighting mad. This is not just a Republican issue. Democrats in Texas, fighting mad. In Arizona, fighting mad. And now, hilariously, in Chicago and New York, fighting mad because it turns out that when the chickens come home to roost, when you back really bad border policy and call yourself a sanctuary city. And then all of a sudden, oh no, it's the consequences of my own actions. People start arriving en masse in New York and Chicago, straining your social services and sleeping on the streets. You get ticked too. So this is a boiling issue for the White House. So what is the White House doing about it? Are they trying to fix it? Of course not. Of course not. 
So according to Politico, the Biden administration is attempting to flip the blame for the migrant crisis at the southern border onto Republicans. Good luck with that one. Seriously, good luck with that. So the Republicans are like, let's build a wall. Let's deport everyone. Let's be as harsh on illegal immigration as humanly possible. And the Democrats are like, let's leave an open border. And then when the border is open and people arrive, like, this is this is Republicans' fault. This is the who killed Hannibal meme. For those who are not familiar with this meme from the internets, it's a meme in which one character shoots another character in the chest and then turns to camera and says, who could have done this? That is the Democratic Party when it comes to illegal immigration. According to Politico, in anticipation of Speaker Mike Johnson heading to the U.S. southern border on Wednesday, the White House issued a statement accusing House GOPers of ducking the chance to address the issue they've been attacking. Actions speak louder than words, said White House spokesperson Andrew Bates. House Republicans' anti-border security record. Anti-border security record? But F is defined by attempting to cut customs and border protection personnel. No, what Republicans didn't want to do was increase the amount of processing power. They wanted to increase the amount of enforcement power, meaning turn people away at the border. They didn't simply want to increase the size and scope of the processing apparatus in order to allow in more people illegally, which is what Joe Biden wants to do. But Joe Biden wants to, basically what you have here is you have a hose with a spigot. The spigot right now is very narrow. And so what's happening is that there's a huge backlog of illegal immigrants who have not yet been processed. There are two ways to solve this problem. One is to turn off the hose so that you actually don't have a giant pipeline of people trying to get across the border illegally. The other way is to open up the spigot, which is to say, allow illegal immigrants to pour into the country. This is why it's like Alejandro Mayorkas, the Department of Homeland Security head, which is such an Orwellian notion that he is the head of Department of Homeland Security. What Homeland Security has Alejandro Mayorkas been providing? Like at all. Here he was yesterday explaining they have a backlog of three million cases. That backlog is a powerful example of how broken our immigration system is and for how long it has been broken. Because that backlog existed when I was in the Department of Homeland Security in 2009. It preceded me then and it precedes me now in my tenure as the Secretary of Homeland Security. That three million case backlog has been building for years and years and years. It got much, much worse when U.S. citizenship and immigration system uh, uh, services, the agency within the Department of Homeland Security that administers our legal immigration system was financially gutted during the prior administration. Again, what he wants to do is increase the processing power. He does not actually want to cut off the flow. If you want illegal immigration to stop, you need to cut off the flow. But that's exactly what the Biden administration is unwilling to do. According to Politico, Senate negotiators are trying to land a bipartisan agreement on policy to help stem the flow of migration. And House Republicans are now considering impeaching Mayorkas, as they should, because he's not doing his job. I mean, you don't have to be guilty of any sort of crime to be, quote unquote, impeached. We found that out when Democrats impeached Donald Trump twice while alleging no actual criminal activity. Dereliction of duty would be a big one for Alejandro Mayorkas, who has not secured the border in any way, shape or form. It, it is hilarious that so Mayorkas was asked, why exactly do you think that there's been this massive outbreak of illegal immigration, like way higher than it was during Trump, way higher than it was during Obama? Why is that happening? So he blames climate change and poverty, which are systemic problems in the Northern Triangle and Latin America generally. He, he blames that, which is weird since climate change, according to the left, has been taking place for decades and poverty has been endemic to this region for, again, decades. So why now? The answer, by the way, is that illegal immigrants will tell you themselves, Joe Biden is president. 
There's lots of video of people chanting Joe Biden's name <laughs> as they head for the border. Here's Alejandro Mayorkas trying to blame this on systemic factors. By the way, when politicians tend to blame, quote unquote, systemic factors like this, usually that's a way of them avoiding accountability and responsibility. Because how exactly is anyone supposed to solve climate change or poverty? It's like blaming the moon. Oh, man, the moon keeps making this happen. How do we stop it? We can't because we can't blow up the moon. When politicians do that routine, what they're really saying is we are not going to do the thing we, sh we know we should do. Instead, we're just going to blame these endemic factors. Here we go. So we are seeing the greatest number of displaced people, not only at our southern border, not only in the Western Hemisphere, but across the globe. You know, I am involved in bilateral and multilateral meetings with my counterparts from foreign countries in Europe, uh, in Asia, in the Indo-Pacific, all over the world. And migration, the challenge of displaced people, is a subject that comes up in every single conversation. We have the effects of climate change, poverty, increasing level of authoritarianism, the very many challenges that are at the root cause of the displacement of people around the world. So question, why does the chart for illegal immigration look like this? Okay, why does it spike when Joe Biden becomes president? No one in the Biden administration is willing to answer that question. And the answer is perfectly obvious. It's because Joe Biden is soft on illegal immigration. And his party is soft on illegal immigration. And again, they are in hock to the left wing because there's no reason for this. Democrats on the border understand that leaving the border wide open is totally insane. It's so, this, this has to be an ideological thing, truly. Because the reality is that even labor first Democrats, people who are for unions, for example, it used to be they were very much opposed to illegal immigration and migrant labor generally because they believed it was undercutting the wage base in the United States. But now the Democratic Party has been so captured by college-educated white liberals that they seem to believe that leaving the border open is some sort of moral requirement. They're going to follow that all the way into Joe Biden losing the presidency is what's going to happen here. In just one second, we'll get to the continuing Democratic attempt to blame Republicans for what is, in fact, a Democratic. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that when people say free, they should mean, you know, actually free. When you switch to Pure Talk today, you will get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. No four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last, rugged screen, quick charging battery, top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family will save almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Switch to my cell phone company. I've been using Pure Talk for years at this point. I tell you that coverage is excellent. I trust them. You can too. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and switch to my cell phone company today. puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Okay. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, not only do blinds enhance the aesthetic appeal of your home, they also offer practical benefits. By effectively blocking out harmful UV rays, they help protect your furniture and flooring from fading, ensuring your interiors retain their beauty for years to come. Their insulating properties help regulate the temperature inside your home, keeping it comfortable year-round while potentially reducing your energy bills. With over 40,000 five-star reviews, Blinds.com is the number one online retailer of custom window coverings. You can measure and install them yourself or have Blinds.com send local professionals to take care of the installation for you. There's no showroom, no retail markets, no matter how many, or installation is just one low cost. 
And if you don't have an eye for design, Blinds.com experts are always available to help choose the style and color right for you. Everything they sell is covered by their perfect fit and 100% satisfaction guarantee. With hundreds of styles and colors to choose from, Blinds.com is sure to have the perfect treatments for your windows. Shop Blinds.com's anniversary sale right now through March 13th for up to 50% off. Again, save up to 50% off for limited time at Blinds.com. And when you check out, don't forget to tell them you heard about them at The Ben Shapiro Show. Rules and restrictions may apply. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, let's be real. French fries, they're the only good vegetable. But unfortunately, they're not healthy. They're bad for you. Well, balance of nature, fruits and veggies are the most convenient way to get whole food ingredients every day, like the actual vegetables that they count toward you know, what you should be eating. Balance of Nature uses an advanced cold vacuum process that encapsulates fruits and veggies into whole food supplements without sacrificing those natural antioxidants. The capsules are completely void of additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. The only thing in Balance of Nature's fruit and veggie capsules are, you know, like the fruits and the veggies. Right now, my listeners can get 35% off their first order and they'll also get a free fiber and spice supplement. Balance of Nature's fiber and spice supplement is a revolutionary fiber drink with a unique blend of 12 spices and whole foods. I'm flying pretty much constantly for the last few months. Gotta tell you, I really rely on Balance of Nature. There's never been an easier way to make sure you're getting your daily dose of fruits and veggies. Experience Balance of Nature for yourself today. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Shapiro for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. Plus, get a free bottle of fiber and spice. That's balanceofnature.com, promo code Shapiro for 35% off that first preferred order. Plus, that free bottle of fiber and spice. Okay, so back to the border crisis. It is amazing to watch Democrats try to project this on Republicans. This is not going to work. If this is their strategy, good, good luck. Seriously, good luck. So here's Alejandro Mayorkas again. He's the head of the Department of Homeland Security, refusing to enforce border law. And here he is blaming Texas's governor, Greg Abbott, for actually attempting to enforce border law. We have taken action on the border and we've taken action with respect to the challenges that cities across the country are facing. Let me let me identify one fundamental problem here, and that is the fact that we have one governor in the state of Texas who is refusing to cooperate with other other governors and other local officials and coordinate efforts to address a challenge that our country, which this country should stand united to address that our country is facing. And it's a remarkable failure of governance to refuse to cooperate with one's fellow local and state officials. What in the world? Again, it is the federal government currently suing Greg Abbott to stop him from enforcing federal immigration law. Meanwhile, Karine Jean-Pierre, world's worst press secretary over at the White House, she says that Joe Biden still has confidence in his DHS secretary. They are going to run this playbook right into the ground. It is it is political malpractice. I mean, what's happening here, just from any objective point of view, if you're an alien from outer space and you arrived in the United States and you saw a crisis at the southern border, a president in the low 40s, high 30s approval rating in a reelect fight where the border is going to be a major issue, shouting that his opponents are responsible and we're going to basically leave things in place. You'd be like, what in the world is even happening here? But that's what the Biden administration is doing. The House committee is moving ahead with impeachment proceedings against Secretary Mayorkas. There's a hearing scheduled for next week. So I'd just like to get the White House response. And also, just to clarify, does, this, does the president still have confidence in the secretary? Absolutely. The president has confidence in the secretary, I think. And, and I've, I've said this moments ago. I said it at the top as well. We believe that um, what they're doing, the House Republicans are doing uh, with this imp impeachment inquiry is baseless. Uh, we believe that uh, it's a political stunt. And, and we believe there's not there's no time for that right now. There are things that the American people want us to get done. Is it, well, why aren't you doing any of them then? 
So Joe Biden, for his part, he says this is all about Republicans refusing him money to do immigration. Now, we all know what's actually happening here is that the money he wants for immigration is not to actually reject illegal immigrants at the border. He does not want a remain in Mexico policy. He tried to walk that back. He does not want to simply change immigration law to make it harder for people to falsely claim asylum. He doesn't want to do any of that. The money he wants is to open the spigot. That's why Republicans oppose it. Here's Joe Biden claiming this is about a lack of money. I mean, dude, my dude, you, you spend $7 trillion a year. I have a feeling you can find some money somewhere if what you actually want to do is stop the flow of illegal immigration. I mean, like, how much money do these people want? This is totally crazy. Like, the, the federal government has only a couple of actual original purposes. Then it has a bunch of crap that it does that literally has nothing to do with its constitutional duties. The size and scope of the federal government is so insanely beyond anything the founding fathers ever would have comprehended that it's absolutely maddening. The founding fathers legitimately fought a revolution based on the size and scope of government and lack of representation within that government. If, if they could see the federal government as it currently stands, what do you think they would think of this? Meanwhile, I got Joe Biden walking around spending $7 trillion a year. And he's like, I don't know. We need more money. Where's the money? I don't know. Here we go. Are you going to do anything about the southern border? What? The southern border. Are you going to do anything about it? We got to do something. They ought to give me the money. I need to protect the border. They ought to give me the money I need to protect the border? You're right. We're not spending enough money. Our national debt is $34 trillion with AT. Trillion dollars. He is spending more money than any president has ever spent. Ever. But the problem is short falls of cash, apparently, according to Joe Biden. Nailed it. But except that we know that that's not true. Because right now, Joe Biden is requesting another giant supplemental bill. That giant supplemental bill includes like $60 billion in aid to Ukraine, $14 billion in aid to Israel, some billions of dollars in aid to Taiwan. And Republicans said, okay, well, we're going to add some border security here. Because you know what? As long as we're helping to secure foreign allies, perhaps we should secure our southern border a little bit. And Joe Biden's like, nope. And Chuck Schumer is like, nope. So here is Chuck Schumer, the Senate minority, the Senate majority leader yesterday talking about this and saying, well, if Republicans want H.R. 2, and we'll discuss what H.R. 2 is in a second, attached to this bill, the answer is no. When the House clings to H.R. 2 as the only solution which every Democrat has voted against, I believe both House and Senate, I, certainly every senator voted, every Democratic senator voted against it. I think every Democratic House member voted against it as well. If not, it was almost everyone. Um, we're not going to get a deal. Okay, so he says, by the way, that there is agreement among Democrats and Republicans about need to fix the border, but they won't actually propose anything that systemically changes the problem on the border. They refuse to do it. Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut is the lead Democrat in the border talks. He says, I think if the Senate gets something done in a bipartisan way, it'll put enormous pressure on the House to get something done as well. Well, so far, they haven't done a very good job of it. We'll get to HR 2 what the Republicans have proposed in the House in just one. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, a child's life is molded by his or her home, school, friends, community. A positive experience in all these areas helps build a healthy child. Cars for Kids, that's Cars with a K, is a registered nonprofit organization aimed at giving children the tools to succeed in life. If you have a car that's just sitting in your driveway, taking up space, you should consider donating it 
to Cars for Kids. You know, Cars for Kids, they've got that jingle, right? The 1-877-CARS-FOR-KIDS, K-A-R-S, you know it. If you're tired of looking at that old car in your driveway or hearing your spouse complain about it, why not let Cars for Kids take care of it for you? Here's how it works. Visit their website at carsforkids.org slash Ben. Let them take care of it from there. The whole process only takes two minutes. Cars for Kids will schedule a pickup at a time that's convenient for you. If you don't have a car, you can still help. Cars for Kids accepts non-cash donations of school supplies, clothing, sports equipment, and more. So what exactly are you waiting for? Call now or visit carsforkids.org slash Ben to get the ball rolling today. That's Cars of the K, the number four, at carsforkids.org slash Ben. That's carsforkids.org slash Ben. Okay, so what exactly is it that Chuck Schumer is rejecting here? What exactly is it that, that is so terrible? So there's something called the Secure the Border Act of 2023. So the Secure the Border Act, which is H.R. 2, is um, a fairly conservative bill. It proposes the following things. This is according to immigrationforum.org, which is actually a rather pro-immigration outlet. And here's what they say. It would reestablish Trump-era border policy, including restarting construction on the border wall. It would reinforce the definition of operational control as the profession of all unlawful entries into the United States, including entries by terrorists, other unlawful aliens, instruments of terrorism, narcotics, and other contraband. So all unlawful entries, that would be now the goal of operational control. It would require the DHS secretary to incorporate physical barriers, infrastructures, and technologies to achieve situational awareness and operational control of the U.S.-Mexico border. It would increase the number of full-time border patrol agents to at least 22,000. By the way, that gives the lie to the idea that the Republicans don't want to increase border patrol agents. They do. They just don't want to increase the number of people who are going to be involved in processing illegal immigration forms as opposed to the number of people who are on the border catching the godaways. It would prohibit the use of U.S. Customs and Border Protection Air and Marine Operations resources to transport non-citizens who will not be detained into the country's interior. In other words, we shouldn't be spending federal dollars to bust people all around the country via CBP. It would require the U.S. Border Patrol to put together a strategic plan based on information provided by border community stakeholders like hospitals, farmers, ranchers, property owners, victims of crimes, and others negatively impacted by illegal immigration. Like All of this sounds absolutely reasonable. It would also restrict access for asylum. It would raise the initial screening standard so a non-citizen would have to prove they were more likely than not to ultimately qualify for asylum to continue pursuing their protection claim and not be just kicked out. Which again, why is that wild? Should you be able to come to the border and you just say, listen, I need asylum. And they're like, why? You say, I don't know. I just do. They're like, well, maybe there's like a 1% chance this person needs asylum. Probably should release them into the interior of the United States. Or should, by what we call a preponderance of the evidence, 51% shot, you're actually going to get asylum. Now we say, okay, fine. You want to come in, make your asylum claim. We'll let you in because the chances are pretty good. You're going to receive asylum. That is a smart policy the Democrats oppose. It would ban the vast majority of asylum seekers from requesting protection at U.S. border if they traveled through a third country en route to the United States and had not already been denied asylum there. By the way, this is the same policy that Mexico holds. So the basic idea here would be that if you come up to the U.S. border and you did not request asylum in Mexico first, you need to go back to Mexico and request asylum there. And then if they deny that, then you can come to the United States and request asylum. But you shouldn't be able to like pick and choose the best country just because it is the best country. If you are truly requesting asylum, meaning you're trying to avoid the worst possible scenario, that does not give you automatic access to the United States. It would restrict asylum claims generally to migrants who arrive in the U.S. at an official port of entry. So you can't like go between the border crossings, cross the Rio Grande, run into the United States and then claim asylum. You have to actually go to a border crossing in order for us to process you normally. Like None of this seems wildly crazy. It would also explicitly end the existing presumption against detaining a non-citizen child accompanied by family. 
making it easier for families with minor children to be held in detention. Because right now, the big problem, one of the big problems is that you're not allowed to hold a child in detention facilities with family, which leads to separations at the border between children and parents, which has then been used as a lever to release the parents. So now it's saying, okay, well, you know, how about we just keep the families together, which again, makes some sense. It would require DHS to actually reestablish family detention, requiring parents and kids who enter together without authorization to be held together in immigration detention. And then say that this satisfies the Flores Settlement Agreement, that Flores Settlement was an agreement come to by the Clinton administration and the and the federal judiciary with regard to non-separation of children from families. Again, all of this is perfectly normal and natural. This is the stuff that Joe Biden is opposing. This is stuff Chuck Schumer is opposing. So much opposing, by the way, that they would rather kill Ukraine aid than pass it. The bill would criminalize overstaying a legal visa. So if you stay for you overstay your visa, that makes it a criminal penalty. They don't want to do that. They want you to be able to just, I don't know, pay fine or something. They want to redefine what it means for parole to be granted on a case-by-case basis so you can't categorically just declare that people are paroled, like DACA. And all of this, and it would add to E-Verify. So employers would actually have to check the immigration status of the people they employ. Why is any of this remotely controversial? If you polled each one of those propositions, I guarantee you those are 70% propositions. 70% of Americans probably agree with every single thing that I just said. Who disagrees? I mean, it's, it's an, but, but Democrats are ideologically committed to this. For example, Representative Rokana. By the way, I like Rokana. He's been on the show. I think he's an honest person, even if we disagree on a lot of policy issues. Democrat from California, he says, I'm not rid, I'm not in favor of changing parole and asylum in favor of Ukraine aid. I mean, first of all, you should be in favor of it just without Ukraine aid. But the fact that Democrats are willing to take what they say is the top national security priority, not allowing Ukraine to be eaten by Russia, and subject it and subjugate that, subsume that, get rid of that, sublimate that to the open border policy is totally crazy. Here's Rokana. How crucial is that aid for Ukraine right now? It's absolutely crucial. And we should have a standalone up or down vote on the aid to Ukraine. And I strongly support the aid to Ukraine. But what I don't support is getting rid of uh, the America's commitment to asylum or parole just to give aid to Ukraine. I mean, we're not going to compromise our entire values as a nation over that. I mean, values as a nation? I didn't realize the value as a nation was allowing people to make spurious claims of refugee status. You know, all this plays directly into Donald Trump's hands. I say the radical left capturing Biden has been the downfall of his administration. Donald Trump has a has a piece in the Des Moines Register ahead of the Iowa caucuses talking about Joe Biden's border disaster. And he says, of course, he he didn't write this, but this will be the policy he implements. See, this is this is the thing about Trump. This is the thing that conservatives like me understand. Donald Trump says a lot of crap when he's tweeting. His actual policy gets made by the people around him. The people who can convince Donald Trump of their policy end up getting their policy actually passed, made law, implemented. This is why you have three conservative Supreme Court justices and not randos that Donald Trump picked out of a lineup. It's not because Donald Trump has deep engagement with the issue of Supreme Court jurisprudence. It's because Leonard Leo was telling him, here is a list of justices who will probably be good. And this is just how Trump works. And everybody who's going to vote for Trump basically understands this. Trump has some very good political instincts and he has some very bad habits on Twitter. And then if he surrounds himself with the right people, he tends to implement some pretty good policy, which is why, again, he is leading in the polls. We'll get to Donald Trump's proposed border policy. Again, he's skunking Biden on this issue. It's amazing to me that Biden won't compromise with Republicans and attempt to at least neutralize the issue. It's totally wild. We'll get to that in a second. First, now is the perfect time for your family to discover Bent Key. 
that we've talked to you about, Benki. It is an entirely new streaming platform for kids entertainment. It's been created by us here at The Daily Wire. Why does that matter? Well, because you can trust that when we say that we put our kids in front of this content, it's going to be good for your kids as well. And there's no one more protective of their kids than I am with my kids. Like literally no one on planet Earth does not exist. So if we made an entire outlet dedicated to making sure that you can put your kids in front of the TV and they'll be entertained, they'll enjoy, they'll want to watch. And by the way, it's going to be safe and good for your kids. You can trust me on this one. Ben Key is dedicated to telling timeless stories kids will love and parents can trust all 100% ad-free. We've had hundreds of thousands of downloads, hundreds of five-star reviews. Ben Key is quickly becoming a favorite for parents, grandparents, teachers, and more who believe their kids deserve the best. It's an amazing gift for yourself. It's an amazing gift for your kids. New episodes are released every single Saturday. We brought back the Saturday morning cartoons. If you have a Daily Wire Plus membership, you already have access to Benke. If you're not a member, this is your invitation to try Benke for free. That is right. Right now, we're giving everyone a 14-day free trial of premium kids content over at Benke. So just go give it a try. I promise you're going to love it and your kids are going to love it. Log on to bentkey.com, use code UNLOCK at sign up and start your free trial today. Okay, meanwhile, as you say, when it comes to immigration policy, Joe Biden is blowing it and it's playing right into Donald Trump's hands. He has a good piece over the Des Moines Register, obviously not written by Donald Trump. doesn't matter. It's the policy Trump will implement. He says, under the Trump administration, we had the most secure border in U.S. history. We ended catch and release and removed over one million illegal aliens in my first term. I negotiated unprecedented agreements with Central American nations and brokered remain in Mexico to stop the flow of migrants to our border. I got the Mexican government to deploy tens of thousands of soldiers to the border free of charge. Every step of the way, we fought obstructionist left-wing judges and radical Democrats who tried to stop us, and we won. And he says, now you're witness- witnessing the disastrous results of Joe Biden. Biden came in, canceled the border wall, ended to remain in Mexico, ripped up my asylum bans, ended Title 42, and began resettling millions of migrants into American communities at taxpayer expense. And now you are witnessing the disastrous results. We have the highest number of illegal border crossings in history by far. On my first day back in office, I will terminate every open borders policy of the Biden administration and immediately restore the full set of strong Trump border policies. Then we will begin a record-setting deportation operation. Joe Biden has given us no choice. The millions of illegal aliens who have invaded under Biden require a record number of removals. This is just common sense. To achieve this goal, I will make clear to every department and to state and local governments, we must use all resources and authorities available. We'll shift massive portions of federal law enforcement to immigration enforcement, including parts of the DEA, ATF, FBI, and DHS. I will use the Alien Enemies Act to remove known or suspected gang members, drug dealers, or cartel members from the United States. And we'll use Title 42 to end the child trafficking crisis at last. Again, this is... Trump's going to win on this issue. This issue matters to Americans. And Joe Biden is walking, sleepwalking directly into his own defeat. It's not just with regard to immigration. Remember, Joe Biden needs good news before the election. He's not going to win this race on the basis of people like him better than Trump as a person. It's not going to work this time. It is simply not. The perception of Joe Biden is too bad. It has been stagnant and terrible since the Afghanistan withdrawal. People do not perceive him as the kindly elderly gentleman anymore. That's what he ran as in 2020. And no one thinks of him that way. They think of him as somewhat venal, somewhat corrupt, crotchety, somewhat senile, and fairly radical on policy. That's the actual perception of Joe Biden. So he's going to need a significant economic recovery. Is that going to happen this year? Well, the Fed's going to do its best. The Federal Reserve obviously has historically been in the business of trying to jog the economy just before presidential elections. This goes all the way back to the Nixon administration. Well, according to the Wall Street Journal, Federal Reserve officials thought they were done raising interest rates when they decided last month to hold them steady. But minutes of the meeting didn't reveal a meaningful debate about when to start lowering rates. While nearly all officials anticipated policy rates would eventually be lowered before the end of this year, the written account of their December 12th and 13th meeting released on Wednesday underscored heightened uncertainty over how to navigate the next interval of monetary policy after the most rapid increase in interest rates in four decades. 
So they're really not sure how much they're going to reduce the rates. I guarantee you they're going to try to reduce the rates this year because if they don't, the economy is going to start to stagnate. In fact, we are already seeing that. According to Axios, steady job postings, cooler hiring, and less quitting. After a record-shattering stretch, America's once remarkable labor market has settled into a more normal groove. The result is sufficiently cool demand. It won't stoke inflation, but it's still robust enough for workers who want a job to find one. Other signs point to a continued cool down. As the year came to a close, hiring eased slightly to 5.5 million. That's 363,000 fewer hires than in October. The number of quits, which is how many people are quitting their job to find another job, is down three point, fell down to 3.5 million. That's down 157,000. This is back down to below December 2019. This, this is just the beginning. Because again, what goes up must come down. At the very best, you're going to get a slow recovery from here on in. It's going to look like Obama numbers. This is why the New York Times reports that auto sales are expected to slow after 2023. Edmonds expects the industry to sell 15.7 million vehicles this year. That would amount to only a modest increase from the 15.5 million sold last year. That is when sales jumped 12%. The credit situation is not great for people because all of the interest rates are up. And that means that people are going to be buying less. For years, people took advantage of 0% loans to buy vehicles, even as the prices climbed. But such deals offered by automakers to move inventory have nearly disappeared in the wake of the Fed's rate hikes. In the fourth quarter of 2023, new vehicle sales with 0% financing accounted for just 2.3% of all sales. According to Edmonds, monthly payments are now at near record highs. And again, you have a national debt that is completely out of control. So are we likely to get a booming economy this year? You might avoid a technical recession. What you're going to have is an embedded inflation that continues to be way higher than when Joe Biden took office. Again, even if inflation stopped today, pretty much everything you buy is about 20% more expensive than it was when Joe Biden took office. A dollar in January of 2021, now what you would buy for a dollar now costs you 118, according to government statistics. So that's a bad number for Joe Biden. And as the economy cools, Joe Biden is going to feel the brunt of that. Again, he's been defying economic gravity, but not really. Inflation was the economic gravity. When the interest rates go up, the economy cools down. Everyone's expecting it. It's normal. What you would expect is that Jerome Powell, before the election, probably drops the interest rates to try to jog the economy a little bit. Is that going to be too little, too late? Probably, given the, effect, given the fact that, again, all this stuff is embedded. It's not as though when we say inflation goes down, the actual amount of money that you are paying goes down. Deflation has not yet set in. Deflation would be things are less expensive today than they were yesterday. Even best case scenario, you're talking about a continued inflation rate of 2%, which is what the Federal Reserve aims for. That's on top of the already embedded 17 to 20% increase that you've seen over the course of the Biden administration. Meanwhile, the possibility of more shocks to the global economic system are very, very real. Shipping in the Red Sea continues to be a complete disaster area. I don't know what the point is of having a multi, multi tens of billions of dollar military if you are not going to be able to stop Houthi pirates from stopping shipping through the Red Sea. Joe Biden's international policy is going to have some dramatic impacts on the American economy. One of the big factors in price inflation over the course of the last several years has been supply chain bottlenecks left over from COVID. That has been a very real phenomenon in the economic world. Well, that was driven by a global pandemic and shutdowns in particular countries, labor shortages and all the rest. What happens when you have, again, a bunch of ragtag pirates who are shutting down an entire shipping methodology that lowers cost for the entire globe on products ranging from oil to clothing. An enormous amount of shipping goes through the Red Sea. And yet here we are today 
with the U.S. and its allies having to give the Houthis warnings. Now, you know that could have been prevented by the United States taking a very anti-Iran position from the get-go under Joe Biden. Donald Trump had basically ostracized Iran from the international community. The Houthis were listed as a U.S. a U.S. labeled terrorist group. Joe Biden delisted them. Joe Biden decided to go hard on the Saudis, hard on the Israelis, easy on the Iranians. And the result is this. The result is chaos in the Middle East. Because it turns out the chaos actor in the Middle East is Iran. It has always been Iran. It is not Saudi Arabia. It is not Israel. So it's very bizarre that the Biden administration is now having to backfill all of that. And the problem is that when you make those sorts of mistakes, it is very hard to contain the problem on the other end. When you open that can, the can is now open. There's only one way to close that can. And that is you're going to have to blow up some crap among the Houthis. At the very least. I mean, now that the can has been opened against Israel by Iran with regard to Hamas and Hezbollah, there's the possibility that the only way to, to close that can is to go after Hezbollah, which is another major issue for the Biden administration. Joe Biden's reelect effort requires there to be some level of calm in the Middle East reestablished. What they're hoping is to contain the Israel-Hamas issue to Israel and Hamas, that Hezbollah does not come in. The only way that's going to happen is if the United States makes very, very clear to Hezbollah that if Hezbollah gets involved, the United States finishes Hezbollah. That is actually what would be in Joe Biden's political interest. Because if that war opens up, that's very bad for Joe Biden, politically speaking. I mean, it's bad for the world, by the way. You don't want this broadening into a large war. Israel does not want that. Probably Iran does not want that because if it starts to broader into a larger war, then the Iranian mullahs are probably not in leadership at the end of that day. But with that said, a little bit of strength right now would go a long way. According to the Wall Street Journal, the U.S., Britain, and key allies issued what officials described as a final warning to the Houthi Yemeni rebel group Wednesday to cease its attacks on international shipping in the Red Sea or bear the consequences. The statement was issued by more than a dozen nations, quote, ongoing Houthi attacks in the Red Sea are illegal, unacceptable, and profoundly destabilizing. The Houthis will better the responsibility of the consequences should they continue to threaten lives, the global economy, and the free flow of commerce in the region's critical waterways. The U.S. military has prepared options to strike the Houthis, according to U.S. officials. Should the U.S. Britain and other nations use force, potential targets could include launchers for anti-ship missiles and drones, targeting infrastructure such as coastal radar installations and storage facilities for munitions. One of the challenges is that a lot of the weapon systems are mobile. They're also very cheap. The Biden administration has been cautious about using force, seeking to protect the prospects for diplomatic resolution of the Yemen conflict. Yeah, good luck with that one. Houthi fighters overthrew the Yemeni government in 2014. There's been an ongoing, very bloody war between the Houthis and the Saudi government and other Arab nations attempting to oust the Houthis, who again are an Iranian-backed terror group with a slogan talking about death to America, death to Israel. Glory to Allah and all the rest. John Kirby says the president has made clear the United States does not seek conflict with any nation or actor in the Middle East, but neither will we shrink from the task of defending ourselves, our interests, our partners, or the free flow of international commerce. As of Tuesday, the Houthis have already carried out 24 attacks on commercial ships since mid-November. And of course, it's not just the Houthis. You have Iranian-backed terror proxies in Iraq that are striking at American forces. You have Hezbollah, which again is warming up on Israel's northern front. What is going to push Iran off the ball is going to be the West actually doing something. Warnings are not going to do it. You're going to have to kill some Houthis. I mean, it's just that simple. You're going to have to kill some Houthi terrorists if you want to free the shipping in this, in this area. Meanwhile, in Iran, it seems like things are heating up. Two bombs exploded and killed at least 84 people at a commemoration for Qasem Soleimani. Soleimani, of course, was the terror general who was killed in Iraq at the behest of the Trump administration. No one immediately claimed responsibility for this blast that killed 84 people at the funeral. Iran's leaders vowed to punish those responsible for the blast, which wounded at least 284 people. They've revised the, the death toll at this point. It had been over 100. Now it's down in the 80s. 
The gathering marked the fourth anniversary of the killing of Soleimani. The explosions occurred near his gravesite as long lines of people gathered for the event. Now, of course, the Iranians are blaming the United States and Israel. This does not meet with any of the sort of predicates that would suggest that it was an Israeli or American action. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't achieve any geopolitical goal. It didn't actually kill anyone important. Like there's nothing there that suggests that this was some sort of American-Israeli operation, either together or alone. It's, it's actually much more likely, in, in fact, that it was some, some form of Iranian rebel group attempting to generate ire at the Iranian administration. Iran's Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei said the attackers will face a harsh response. He didn't name any possible suspect, probably because the Iranians know that if they tried to turn this into an American-Israeli thing, that it actually increases the chance of war. Again, Iran wants wars using its proxies. It does not want war directly. Iran does not want war. By the way, the United States doesn't either. Israel doesn't either. No one wants that. That doesn't mean it won't happen. In the theory of world war, okay, here's a quick theory of world wars. World wars begin when you have a series of popping popcorn kernels and no one actually turns down the heat. When the, those series of popping popcorn kernels start to increase, when the heat increases, it's like a pop here and a pop here and a pop here. And then all of a sudden, everything's popping all at once. And that's what you're starting to see in the Middle East. It started off with this Hamas attack. That was one popcorn kernel. Then you started to see Hezbollah attacks. And that was another popcorn kernel. And you saw the Houthi attacks. And that is another popcorn kernel. You saw attacks in Syria, attacks in Iraq. These are more popcorn kernels. And eventually, eventually, if this continues, someone in the Iranian government is going to authorize a strike against an American target. They're going to sink an American ship or something. And then America is going to pummel them. There's one way to stop that which is stop the popcorn kernels from popping. And you can't stop them from popping simply by appealing to them to stop. You're going to have to actually quash them where they are. You have to let Israel finish off Hamas. You have to threaten Hezbollah that if it gets involved, that America will finish off Hezbollah directly. That's the reason we have aircraft carriers stationed in the Mediterranean. It's not because I or anyone else wants America at war with Iran. It's because I want America not at war with Iran, but threats are useful. Credible threat of force is a very significant deterrent. It always has been. It's why the United States is going to have to blow away the Houthis. Because if they continue to achieve, quote unquote, victories against international shipping in the Red Sea, do you think that incentivizes more attacks or does it disincentivize more attacks? Again, Sunnis are probably responsible for what just happened in Iran. According to the AP, Sunni extremist groups, including the ISIS group, have conducted large scale attacks in the past that killed civilians in Shiite majority Iran. That's probably what is happening here. Okay, in just one second, we'll get to the latest on Harvard, where Claudine Gay now has a piece out talking about how hard it is to be Claudine Gay, how she's really a victim. We'll get to that in a moment. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro. Check out for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us. 